Well, for those of you who have been hanging out with us for the past couple of weeks, you know that I made a promise that I would wear a belt buckle. And uh, this belt buckle says Calgary on it, oddly enough. I was quite fascinated when uh, Mark, my roommate, uh, allowed me to borrow it. I was like, it says Calgary on it. He's like, I know, it wasn't even made in Canada. Um, but there you go. Um, you know, welcome. Uh, Stampede Week is always a lot of fun here in Calgary. And yeah, hospitality kind of connects a little bit of, with that. Um, I have a question for you. Now, so this is a bit of audience participation. So if you've been sitting here thinking, this is my moment, you know, like I had a long week as as a volunteer at Camp Armat, and this is my opportunity to sleep. Not yet. Just give me one more minute, all right? So by show of hands, would you rather, so this is a would you rather, so we'll start with um, invite someone over or invite yourself over, all right? By a show of hands... (laughs) I see the face. It's like, I'm not going to answer this. This is free participation. You don't have to put your hand up. Um, Would you rather invite someone over? Okay, a couple of hands. Who here would rather invite yourself over? Yeah, okay. I'm not just doing this as a demonstration. Like, I I would rather invite myself over. Um, now, that wasn't really a fair either-or question because there's a whole group of you um, that thought, I would rather do neither. Um, so here's another question that we might ask. Um, who would love to invite other people over, um, but inviting people over terrifies you? You don't need to raise your hand for that one. Um, or perhaps you're, you would love to be invited over but you're terrified of asking, so um, what's your favorite dish? Oh, it's meatloaf. That's lovely. Could I come over and eat that meatloaf with you sometime? Maybe. That's awkward. Who does that? (laughs) Um, Hospitality actually can be a bit awkward. It, It can sometimes feel like a dance. Um, I, you know, I say this, then you say this, you invite me over, I say no, but I actually mean yes, so you have to ask me a couple of times before I say, okay, fine, I'll come over. There's this bit of a dance. When, uh, this was 13 years ago, I, I got the opportunity to travel to India for five weeks, um, and this was with me and my friend, Stavin Wonkedi, he was a good friend of mine, and we made the promise to each other when we were in college that one day I would go and visit his country, and he would travel with me around India. So I spent the first week of India working on an ordination paper and being sick. So after that was done, um, I got to travel around, visit different ministries, enjoying the country, and it was a ton of fun. But some of the things that he, re- he made sure I knew about was there's one important word, and the word was bus. And I was like, oh, yeah? And I'm like, why? He's like, it means stop. It means enough. When one of my aunties starts feeding you, and it just keeps happening, and the plate is full, and then it gets filled again, you, it's okay. You can say bus, bus, bus. It's okay. It's not rude. They will keep putting food on your plate until you tell them to stop. So that was an important thing I learned. Um, and I used it on multiple occasions. I'm not kidding. I really did. Um, there was this birthday party I was at. And after singing a happy birthday, they took the cake. And as us in the West would normally do, we might have the birthday person 
cut the cake and then perhaps even eat it, eat the cake themselves. At least if you're like a five-year-old, that's usually what happens. Like you get cake first. Um, There, they took the slices, they would take the cake and by hand, by hand, they would feed cake into the mouths of like their honored guests to like first to like grandma, grandpa, mom, dad, the brothers and sisters. And I'm sitting there being like, is this happening? Is this happening right now? Is this what's going to happen? It was a great experience. (laughs) I then also got a chance to go to a wedding. I didn't know the couple at all. And because I was with a pastor, I got invited. And then I got invited. And there was a bit of like a seat of honor. And I did not deserve it. But they're like, here, here you go. Come to the front of the line. Who cares about the kids? You get to go first. And it was a bit awkward. But I accepted it. And fortunately, I'd attended some cross-cultural training classes before I had headed out and I had a deep appreciation just for what was going on that it it was fine. Most of the time I just laughed at myself. Um, But there were these deep vats of food, so much. And I'm sitting there at this wedding thinking, "How, how does this happen? Like how in the world are they paying for all of this? That's kind of what crossed my mind. I did a little Google search. Um, Did you know that the average cost of a wedding in Canada, $30,000. Average cost. So you're thinking, well, mine only costs this much. Well, that means there's this other group spending millions, spending so much money on weddings, on this like lavish hospitality. Uh, We're in a sermon series called Open House. We're talking about hospitality. On the first week, we learned that God was the first host. The gift of hospitality is in the very nature of God. Humanity's first experience with God was him providing a place and a community for us as humans. Last week, um, last week, we got to see that there is a critical link in the chain of helping pull people up out of places of darkness and despair. One of those critical links is hospitality. The hospitality of God expressed through the people of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, is a necessary work in a world lost in fear, hopelessness, and disconnection. So when I was in India, it felt like hospitality was a dance. Let's say a line dance. We'll go with the theme of the week. Um, It was a line dance that everybody knew but me. um, And it was awkward at times, but it was a ton of fun. And yeah, we did a lot of laughing. There are social and cultural norms that come with hospitality. And sometimes they can be hard for us to navigate. And often, hospitality comes with norms that feel moral. Like, they feel like they are not just important, but it's like to cross this line is a big no-no. Perhaps you grew up in a home where you had to bring a gift. You, You had to bring a gift no matter what. Or perhaps overstaying your welcome was like the sin of the highest order. There was like this unspoken time where you're like, we now have to go. We have kids come, we're going, come upstairs, time to go. We have to go. Or perhaps you grew up in a home um, where you never invited yourself over. Like, 
that is weird, selfish, awkward, crazy. How dare you put that family on the spot? What are they supposed to say? No? Yes, you can say no, actually. Anyways, um, but perhaps you grew up in a home where it was actually kind of an insult to go early. So you, have, you linger, you stay a little while just to show, I'm not just here for the food, I'm here because of friendship and conversation. Whatever the norms were that you grew up in, there was always one common thread, however. There was a cost. There was always a cost. Someone had to pay for the meal. If you have your feet up, you're eating a meal, and there was nothing that you had to do, somebody paid for something, all right? That took me a while to learn as a child. Like, mom, like, the food, it just keeps coming. She's like, yeah, it does. Um, Well, if you grew up in a world like that where there's values, traditions, norms of hospitality, then you are in good company with the people and, uh, and cultures of the New Testament. The world Jesus grew up in was filled with spoken, unspoken, and written rules about hospitality. Hospitality for first century Palestine was nuanced and detailed. I'm not going to go into all of the unique and wonderful nuances of that time and era, but for Israel, hospitality was serious business, and you did not want to get it wrong. It was serious because they as a nation, they were formed as a nomadic people first. And they felt the sting of not having a home, not having a table to eat at. They felt that. It was also serious business for just Mediterranean culture in general. And it was serious because as we had already heard, God took it seriously. Hospitality was built into their religious and cultural world. And with that came traditions and expectations that you did not want to break. And it was in this place and in this environment with high expectations and clear boundaries on hospitality that Jesus enters the world. Now, when you read the New Testament, you often hear meals, invites, guests, hosts, banquets, parties, being a good neighbor, and so forth. You could consider that Jesus' life, his entire earthly ministry, was just one big, long adventure in hospitality. If you think, think about it this way, Jesus is born in a stable. He's born in a stable because the city, the town of Bethlehem, was so full, there was no room. There was no space for hospitality. And we also know that Joseph, this was his hometown, or his extended, his, his family line's hometown. So there were cousins or second cousins that were living there, and those people did not have space for him his wife, who was pregnant. They didn't have space for them. For whatever reason that means. They didn't even have a floor. There was a lack of hospitality even in the birth of Jesus. And then Jesus grows up in Egypt, the very place where they were first as a nation, welcomed with open arms, hospitable, and then turned into slaves and everything flips. And he lives in that environment. In the Gospel of John, the first miracle is at a wedding where Jesus is invited and the host has a crisis. The wine has run out and you do not run out of food and wine at a wedding. 
you just don't do that. And so in this moment of hospitality crisis, Jesus steps in and provides a social miracle and a physical miracle to help maintain honor for that family in that moment of hospitality. Jesus is invited over. He invites himself over. There's this constant movement. He has miraculous feedings for thousands. He tells stories of banquets. And there are so many illustrations of God's kingdom being expressed through some form of hospitality. And then he himself breaks bread and gives the cup during the Passover meal, something that we get to participate in today at the end of the service. He challenges cultural norms on hospitality and in doing so reveals the heart of God. His hospitality sets the course of one of the most powerful values of the early Christian movement, hospitality. And so this is the world that he enters into and the story that we just heard earlier read for us is one of many stories. And it's a story that reveals to us the nature of hospitality and the way of Jesus. And now I'd like us to look at that story and think briefly on that story to consider what it might be saying to us as a community about hospitality. So I'm going to tell the story again. Um, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up at him and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. That didn't even sound like a gesture. It's like, you, this is happening. Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter and murmur, he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. <gasps> right? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So a couple of observations about this story. Jesus saw a lonely, disconnected man with a complicated story. He made time for a man who was written off, a man who was desperate. Now, we don't know the entire backstory of Zacchaeus. We don't know if short meant he was a dwarf. That's, there's some controversy there. Uh, I don't think so. Um, but there, is, there was a conversation because in the book of Leviticus, there were some clear rules about hospitality and, and, and issues of like height and being hunchback or having skin deformities. You were not welcome to participate in certain priestly activities. So it's possible that because of that, there was a, there was a disconnect in community already, which possibly led him to being a tax collector. We don't know that for certain, but what we do know for certain 
is that he was despised, despised, reviled, and he needed help to see. (laughs) He needed to climb that tree. So we know this for certain, that he was despised, rejected, and he was desperate, willing to climb a tree. Can I, if I can be honest with you for a moment, showing hospitality to someone who is culturally despised and rejected makes me a bit nervous. I'll just be honest with you about that. I don't like that that's the case, but I have my moment. That, that makes me a bit nervous. And then you add on top of that someone who is desperate. That's an that's a intimidating event. There is a fear of the unknown. What will people think? Life could get really complicated if I welcome this person into my space and into my life. They might take over. They, it, I, when would they leave? Will they leave? There's a loss of control. There is a cost to Christian hospitality. Let's jump ahead briefly uh, into the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we have in chapter 12 a man by the name of Ananias. Ananias is living up in Damascus, and then we have Saul, the enemy of the church, the one who approved of Stephen's stoning, the one who was given permission to round up, imprison, and hurt followers of Jesus. This man shows up at his door blind. Was this a trick? Was, he putting him, was Ananias putting himself in danger? Do I open the door? And all Ananias had to go on was a vision from the Lord. I, I say all, but it was a challenge. I'm sure it was a challenge. He has this complication in front of him. He has this opportunity where the door could be closed. Saul hasn't even seen him yet. That was almost a joke. I tried. <laughs> You're like, all right, anyways. Trent, move on. Okay, so Saul, he's standing there. There's this moment, and he makes the decision. Ananias welcomes him in. Welcomes him in. And that required Holy Spirit-empowered courage. Radical hospitality requires Holy Spirit-empowered faith and courage. It is not accomplished on our own. But when God calls, he does equip. And that, that cause, that a- effort of hospitality, it's never easy. However, it can be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. But the beauty of that cost is what happens on the other side. Ananias got to watch Saul, an enemy, become a vessel of love and hope. A man who was transformed by Jesus to bring good news to people the average God-fear would never go around. Jews weren't interested in talking and spending time with Gentiles, but Paul understood something great about the nature of hospitality, the nature of Jesus, and he made space for the Gentiles. And the early church lived out this principle. They became known as those people who welcomed the outsiders, welcomed them as if they belonged. 
Now back to the story of Zacchaeus. After Jesus invited himself over, everyone, not surprisingly, freaked out. They lost their minds. This was not a good thing socially. You did not do this. You can picture the religious leaders wagging their fingers, turning their nose up at this immoral behavior of Jesus. And I'm sure for as many friends as Jesus made, he lost because of his hospitality practices. Jesus, Jesus willingly subjected himself to public scorn, and that was difficult. You do not eat with sinners. A tax collector was a a state-sanctioned thief. You don't do that. You don't go to their parties. You don't associate with them. You do this to preserve your honor. And Jesus didn't just accept an invitation. He invited himself over. It was this and other acts of upside-down hospitality that contributed to his notorious personality. The people of his community saw him as a threat as a risk, as a danger, because he was turning things upside down. He was making a mockery of their long-held boundaries and traditions. He was rewriting the definition, as they understood it, of proper hospitality. But what they couldn't understand was that Jesus was willingly shaming himself, willingly shaming himself for the sake of the outcast and the outsider because that was the nature of the Father. There is always a cost. This moment didn't, just, didn't cost Jesus a cent. He didn't have to pay for anything, but he paid. Jesus paid first with his social status, and then he paid with his life. On the cross, Jesus showed us the true and necessary cost of showing hospitality to sinners. Hospitality always comes with a cost. And Jesus willingly paid it. He willingly paid the ultimate price for you and me to be welcomed into his family, welcomed into his home. And every act that Jesus showed of hospitality in the gospel, every act was pointing, giving us a taste of the hospitality on the cross. And then every act of hospitality from the early church was just a taste pointing back to what they received on the cross. That the early church, their hospitality was an expression of this radical payment, this radical opportunity that was given to them because of hospitality. All of Christian hospitality is a response to the radical act of Jesus dying on the cross so that we could be welcomed home. And he willingly paid that price for you and for me and for all of us. I know that Christian hospitality comes at a cost. There's a cost to our comfort and our security. There's a cost to our social status. There is a financial cost. Um, there's a great story by Victor Hugo, Les Miserables. It was published in, in France in 1862. Um, it was an instant and popular success. 
Um, and it was quickly translated into a bunch of languages. If you don't know the story, I recommend you reading it or, like me, watching the movies or watching the musicals if you don't have the capacity for such dense classic literature. But the story, the convict Jean Valjean is released from a French prison after serving 19 years of, from stealing a loaf of bread and the subsequent attempts to escape from prison. 19 years a loaf of bread. And when Jean Valjean arrives at the town of Denay, no one is willing to give him shelter. No one trusts him. He remarks, I am not even a dog. It seems that there is nowhere for him to go, but then a woman sends him to the door of the bishop. And Jean Valjean, confused by why he would be let in by this man, he yells and comes clean to the bishop. And he says, here is my passport, yellow as you see. That is enough to have me kicked out wherever I go. And the bishop replies, Monsieur, sit down and warm yourself. We are going to take supper presently, and your bed will be made ready while you sup. After waking up in the middle of the night, Jean Valjean, still lost in the brokenness and cruelty of this world, steals silver from the bishop. He leaves and he's caught. He's promptly picked up by the police and he's brought back to the bishop. Everything hangs in the balance. The story of Jean Valjean is about to end before it has even started. If a loaf of bread cost him 19 years, what does silver cost? And the bishop exclaims, I'm glad to see you, but... I gave you the candlesticks also, which are silver like the rest, and would uh, being 200 francs. Jean Valjean is shocked to his core and is confused why the bishop covered for him. And as the bishop hands him the candlesticks, he says, forget not Never forget, you have been promised me to use this silver to become an honest man. This moment marks the transformation of Jean Valjean. It was the bishop's hospitality that gave Valjean a new lease on life. It was the hospitality of Jesus that gave Zacchaeus a reason to turn his life around. It was Ananias opening that door for Paul to become the bridge to outsiders to hear the gospel. And it was Jesus' desire to see us welcomed that he chose to go to the cross so that we could experience his radical hospitality, the love of the Father. So what does this mean for us? Where do we go from here? Well, first, I want to invite you to consider the cost. To consider the cost. You were bought with a price. Second, I invite you 
to choose hospitality in the way of Jesus. Knowing that there is a cost for us, but that the Holy Spirit will provide the faith and the courage to be a people of hospitality. I'd like to leave you with this final observation from uh, the story today. Zacchaeus took, uh, he's standing there, he's watching, and Jesus took the initiative. Jesus took the initiative. If Jesus didn't call out to Zacchaeus, would he still be up in that tree? Um, Would he have watched Jesus come and go and then go back to his everyday life? Jesus broke the ice and created the space for Zacchaeus to respond. How often do we wait for someone else to take the initiative? How often are we just kind of waiting around, hoping that one of those people who raised their hands at the beginning of the service will break the ice for us? A couple of weeks ago, um, I was working on this sermon series at Phil and Sebastian Local Coffee Roastery. Um, great, great coffee. Anyways, I'm sitting there, and I recognize someone come walking by, and it's just this vague memory. She sits down, she's ch- chatting with some people, and I decide I need to answer this question. Do I know this person? So I turn to her, we get into a conversation. Sure enough, we went to church together 20 years ago. Um, um, anyways, so we're chatting, we get into a conversation, we start talking about coming out of COVID, and we're talking about all of these things, and we talk about hospitality. We're talking about this very subject. And as we're having this conversation, this thought comes into my mind, because we're talking, how do you break the ice? How do, you, how do you take that next step? How do we come out of our shell? And I just instantly had this picture of my family and my little kids, not my little kids, my nieces and my nephews. Um, And what happens when I go over to uh, my brother and sister's place? I come over, and at first, the kids, and some of you would know this experience, there's like that shyness where they're just like kind of watching, and they're not sure what to do. You can kind of tell they're excited for me to be over, but they don't know what to do. And then all of a sudden they disappear. They run off somewhere and they come back and they're like holding a truck. They're holding a toy. They're holding a mud pie. They're holding anything, just something so that they, they can show me. And so I get down on my knees. I'm like, oh, that's an awesome mud pie, or that's the coolest truck ever. And then all of a sudden, the ice is broken, and they get in close, and then we're off playing, and I'm questioning whether or not I should have gotten down that low because now my back hurts. Anyways, all of these things, this hospitality becomes available and these kids do it by instinct. They recognize, I don't, if you don't quite have the confidence to just walk up to a person, what does it look like for there to be a bridge, a medium, something that, that can exist between the two of you to get you talking? God has given each of you skills, talents, passions, everyday things that interest you, whether it's knitting or disc golf or a favorite book, perhaps it's your dog. These are ways, practical, simple ways for us to bridge the gap between others because it is awkward for us to step across that wall or step across that wall, yeah, to step across. 
Um, on Father's Day a couple weeks ago, we had hot dogs and root beer to kind of help. You know, you could go up, hi, my name is Trent. Do you prefer mustard or ketchup? Mustard, good for you. Ketchup, not so good for you. That's just my opinion. You, we can talk about that later. That's the whole point. Um, and today we have the chili fair. You can have a conversation. Cornbread, no cornbread. Spicy chili, fruity chili. Do they make that? The mango chili? Sure, why not? All right. So these are the ways that we hope as a community to create those spaces, those in-between moments. However, that is just the start. We can't rely, rely on events alone. God is inviting us to take small steps towards the other. It requires faith and courage to reach out beyond these doors, beyond these doors to make space for Jean Valjeans, for Sauls of Tarsus, for Zacchaeus. We need to make room for the other. It's hard to do that, but the Holy Spirit will equip us as a community to be able to take small steps in that direction. And I would encourage you through this week and through this month, through today, to consider, Lord, what, what are the gifts, skills, talents, hobbies that, that can be a bridge and be, can be a gap to break the ice? Because I guarantee if you are uncomfortable, the other person is just as uncomfortable as you. So being like my niece or my nephew, like bring the toy so that there can be that medium, there can be that first safe step. And I want us to consider all of these things as we prepare for communion.